0: Welcome to the Blind Spot, a podcast where we explore human instinctual drives through the lens of the Enneagram, nonviolent communication, and resonant healing, with personal stories from individuals living real human lives. My name is Karen Nance, self-pres, social, sexual blind, three-wing two, with three-seven-one trifix and ENTP cognitive preferences. I hope you enjoy these stories. Hello, everyone. I am excited to have Ben Campbell back. Those of you who are longtime listeners may remember that Ben visited us in September and was talking about his journey as a six with a five wing, self president social sexual blind spot. So if you wanna know more about Ben, I'll invite you to go check out his episode. But what we wanna talk about today is I have been so excited this year because there are so many cool new Enneagram offerings out there I feel like there is an entire flock of new Enneagram experts that are arriving on the scene and it's been so fun to interview some authors with new books and There's more of that coming up we have uh, just finished a nice series with Belinda Gore on object relations and she has a great offering coming up February 24th and Ben who is the founder of Enneagram in the wild. Did I get that correct?
1: Wild Enneagram.
0: Wild Enneagram. Okay. Wild Enneagram. Almost. Okay. Is also developing a bunch of very cool new offerings. So we're here to talk with Ben a little bit about how he's been called to working with the Enneagram in this way and talking about his new offering. And where would you like to start Ben? Thank you so much for, being here and sharing with us what your what direction you're taking.
1: Sure. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me again. Um yeah, I guess I could just jump right in with what I've been uh, developing which is starts in almost exactly a month and it's a 12-week program called Wild and Eagram Foundations.
0: And give us the date, Ben, because when this drops, it'll be 3 weeks.
1: Uh, Thursday, March 16th.
0: March 16th, excellent. St. Patrick's Day, right? Or is that the
1: 17th? I think that might be the 17th, All right. but right around there. <laughs> so I've been wanting to create something that would be like a way into this kind of rewilding of your Enneagram work. Uh, so something that's kind of a medium commitment would be with a group. And you can just come and start to learn what this work is and take your Enneagram practice out into the wild and bring some new bring that new dimension to it.
0: Wow, that's so cool, yeah. Well, I wanna hear more about it, but I kinda wanna start a little bit with your origin story around all of this work. When did you notice that you had this strong connection to nature? What are some of your earliest memories? And one of my trainings right now, we're talking about our spiritual stepping stones, and clearly you're being very called to combine Enneagram and nature And when did you know that this was a really important part of your development?
1: I think I realized it at the first Enneagram training I took at the Enneagram Institute.
0: And what year was that?
1: 2017. Okay. Yeah. Um, I didn't grow up with that profound connection to nature, but after college, it started to hit me more and and grow more. And I went to some nature-based retreats that same summer before I took the training. And when I went to the Enneagram training, it just struck me as odd to have had some self-development and spiritual work that directly embodied, or that sent you out into nature to do your practices. And then to have this other training, which was entirely indoors, felt a little weird, like something was missing. Yeah. And in the five years since, I haven't noticed any Enneagram teachers doing that. It's That's a consistent theme, is that the workshops are inside all the time.
0: Yeah, and what were those nature-based retreats that you did before your first Enneagram workshop? What did those entail?
1: Um, first one was a retreat with the Animus Valley Institute, and the retreat was in western Massachusetts, so it was five days in the mountains of the Berkshires out there, and mm. it was with a small group, and we were working with things like dreams and soul archetypes, and there were some teachings involved around uh, psychology and spirituality, they have their own kind of typing system there, that they would, once they'd describe a certain aspect of personality or psychology, they'd send you out onto the land to see how that showed up for you, and how, the, how nature would mirror it back to you.
0: Oh, wow. Do you remember what you worked with on that retreat?
1: Well, yeah. There were a few themes that came up there. Um, I think one of them was trying to come to terms with my privilege. That was a theme at the time. Just feeling kind of ashamed of being raised by parents who had resources and knowing that most people didn't have the same things that I did. Just trying to reconcile that. But also like loving nature. And I was in very much of an activist phase there. So kind of wrestling with that um, guilt and shame around who I was, what I was carrying. And I would bring that to the guides there and I would bring that out. Out into the land and see what came up, and then we would come back and integrate it. And I was also working around some themes of. And I'm uh, I'm curious.
0: I just can I yeah. ask you a couple questions about it? Yeah, yeah. Go for yeah. it. Yeah. So, what came up for you on the, when you went out into the land around that?
1: I don't remember a moment on the land, but when we came back, something happened in the group where whatever had come up with me had also come up with someone else in that group who had come from a similar background to me, and we ended up forming a bond around that and sort of processed through it together based on what we had learned outside. Which again, the the details of that eluded me, but the coming back and debriefing and processing and finding someone else with the same experience, that was probably the most powerful part of it.
0: Wow. Yeah. I love that you name how important group work is because so often we're on this journey alone and Mm -hmm. we have all of this stuff inside of our own minds. And You know, I ride that three, six arrow hard, so I can only imagine as a horse six, you know, having those thoughts spinning inside of the mind. Mm -hmm. I think Dr. No, not Mr. Rogers um, had this saying, anything that's mentionable is manageable. So kind of, you know, speaking it into the space with somebody who's bearing witness, especially if they have some shared reality, I think is just so healing and restorative.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
0: So how do you carry that now? You know, I'm working with that too. I think that in so many of our teachings, we have so much more exposure to diversity and inclusion curriculum. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this has just, the amplitude is amping up, I would say in society. And how do we yeah. as white people of privilege, how are you integrating that? And how are you working with that?
1: Well, the first thing is of just being aware of it in the first place and not beating myself up about it. Like there was an acceptance around, okay, this is what I've been given. What am I going to do with that? As opposed to this is what I've been given. I have to atone or make up for it somehow. I don't think that approach is very useful, but yeah. How do I, if I'm in this position, um, how do I leverage that to make this work more accessible to others? Uh, and actually the domain of my life where I'm doing that is with, uh, the other project i'm involved in trying to uh found the northeast chapter of the international enneagram association and our team one of our biggest values there is in making whatever workshops we end up doing with that organization very accessible to people of all incomes and backgrounds um mean, those chapters are great because they're non-denominational and they're not connected to somebody's business so they don't need to be expensive And um, even though it's an umbrella group we're creating, it's also, we want to have local groups with local leaders who can just, you know, bring the Enneagram to their community. And in my case, up in Maine, it's mostly white here. I think Maine is one of the whitest states in the country, but um, some of the other states in this region are much more diverse. So we can have this umbrella group, which has a bunch of different communities with different backgrounds and incomes, all under the same umbrella, all able to participate in the same things, but also with their local opportunities. And by the way, if anyone is in the Northeast region, this is something that should be happening by summer or fall. So keep an eye out on the IEA's communications about that.
0: Oh, that's great. Thank you for sharing that. And yeah, while we're on this topic, I also want to just give a shout out to Jessica Denise Dixon, are you familiar Uh, with her work? Yeah, she's a 0.8 Enneagram teacher and coach, and she has a great series also coming up on basically, I don't want to misspeak, but um, it's really for those of us that need some education around the privilege and the power that we do hold and how this shows up in the Enneagram world and in typology in general. So if this is interesting, anyone, I just wanted to also direct people to her work. I think it's really important and I think that it is true that recognizing the power and privilege that we have is the first step. And it sounds trite to say, but um, with great power comes great responsibility. So wherever we find ourselves on this hierarchy, um, just recognizing that there's so much to learn and there's so many blind spots. And that's mm-hmm. one of the things about this podcast that um, I love the title of because we may think that we are being forces for good. And yet, if we're not understanding and holding what our position of power is, it's just so easy to have good intentions, but have the impact land somewhat differently. So I think it's just really important to speak to how important it is to educate ourselves on how things are changing. And I know that you've spoken, or maybe it was Linda, I'm not sure, but um, in one of the interviews, also just about even our relationship to our own history with indigenous populations and just honoring the land that we're on and really getting a little more honest about our history as Americans. What's your relationship with that and what do you know about the land up in Maine?
1: Mm, That's a really big question. So my approach to that has been through taking classes at the Maine Primitive Skills School. They're passing down teachings from indigenous peoples here and in other parts of the country Uh, that were given to them with the intention of them being shared with colonizers or the people who live here, you know, the landowners now. As a way of reviving in all of us, how do we tend to this land that we're on? I think most of us um, white people who are landowners or who live here have forgotten what it means to be in reciprocity with nature and what it means to actually be a good steward and not just an extractor or a taker. Like how how can we actually be in mutually beneficial relationships with the land? So I've been learning a lot about that at the Primitive Skills School, and it runs the range from, like, philosophically speaking, like acknowledging nature as in, like, plants, for example, as our sacred teachers. Like, plants are our elders, giving them that kind of respect as opposed to this is just something you can get food or oil or whatever you get out of them. And also, like literal, practical applications, like how if you have some land, how do you tend to it? And um, there's these principles around the sacred harvest. I think uh, Robin Wall Kimmerer talks about it in Braiding Sweetgrass a bit, that in communities where, for example, black ash trees are used to make baskets and they're harvested in a sacred manner with permission, the population of black ash trees in that area is much more robust, larger, healthier, as opposed to where... There aren't people doing that. The forests are sick or there's not that many trees. The people at the, the primitive school are working to do things similar to that. Um, one example is there are a lot of balsam firs that grow and they grow very thick and they grow very fast. And if you harvest them in an intelligent way, like taking the right ones, they use those to build their shelters. And in harvesting those, it opens up light for the others to grow healthier and for, um, other tree species that would otherwise have a harder chance competing to have a chance at life. So, and they get this beautiful reciprocity because that strengthens the forest and it provides shelter and firewood for the people living there. And they're able to do that in a sustainable way that doesn't require, you know, driving to the store even or taking stuff up out of the earth.
0: Yeah, I love how you're commenting on this beautiful interdependence that we can develop with the land and recognizing that it's a gift, and that we have really not been mindful of the ways that we take from the earth, and that it's really important to reestablish that connection. And there are so many ways that we've lost our connection from the earth. I think it's really interesting that you said that you didn't have much of a connection to nature until 2017, and I think that's because our kids don't get outside as much as they used to. I know there's actually an initiative that's no child left inside. And I'm just curious, like, what you think about the role of how we're raising children and the connection to nature.
1: Yeah, also a complicated question. I mean, I think I remember my, my, you know, my parents would encourage me to go outside a lot. But as a kid, I always preferred to be inside. And I wanted as much screen time as I could get and all of that. And I'm grateful to them for setting the boundaries that they did set but there just wasn't a big pull to go outside and I'm not sure what that was about. I think um, maybe just like culture as a whole was so separated from that that most of the fun happened away from there. I do remember tromping around in the woods as a kid with a couple of my best friends but that stopped around when I was 10 and then it was just indoor stuff from then on. I think it came back online once I was as an adult like waking up and getting more present more of the time and realizing that, you know, what was actually fulfilling to my soul, all of those moments happened out of doors.
0: Yeah. I remember not having much exposure to the land, except for my dad grew up on a farm in Northern Wisconsin. So when we were kids, we used to go there for three weeks every summer. And I think I'm really grateful for that because we would visit every summer. And then, you know, I would spend these prolonged periods. And that's where I learned to fish. And that's where we would drive out and see the deer and the bear. And, you know, I just got so connected to nature in a way that I would have never had that opportunity to. And then I remember being a Girl Scout and camping for the first time. And I have a lot of gratitude for those experiences, even though they were uh, definitely camping light, I would say. Yeah. You know, when I became an adult and started having my own kids and recognizing how much screens pull them in, it really became important to me, especially after my daughter left. My daughter went to college and my boys at the time were Mm -hmm. 10, 12 and 13. And she still doesn't really like nature much. I'm waiting For for her interest to develop. I have a very distinct memory of trying to take her on a two mile hike up a mountain and one mile in. She sat her 16-year-old self down and informed me that she would be sitting here on her phone until I came back oh, and she wasn't drinking yep. another stuff. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, she was beyond the point of uh, malleability. But when the boys were like 10, 12, and 13, I just started planning all of our vacations at national great. parks. And we just have so many great memories. They won't do that with me anymore either now that they're, you know, 14, mm-hmm. 17, and 18. So It's just my shout out, like do this at that age where you still have some control over what they do with their vacation time. But it's really encouraging for me to hear that you came back to it. You know, it wasn't necessarily something that you were drawn to when you were a teenage boy, but um, now I'm hoping that this exposure, I think we do plant seeds. And I think as much as we can get kids out there and- I actually did have my fourteen year old do an outward bound trip last summer, and he doesn't want to do it again this summer, but he does acknowledge that twelve days of canoeing and backpacking with you know the most rustic um, conditions with a small group of, I think yeah ten boys really, really taught him a lot of skills that he's grateful he had yeah. exposure to
1: yeah, or while we're on this like idea of getting outside and how it's good for us i Just want to point out an idea that's really central to the work I'm trying to do, which is that not only is it good for us humans to do that, to go outside and be in nature in that way, but it's also good for nature. There's a reciprocity in our inner work that going out and even something like learning, like outward bound, learning to kayak on the ocean or um, these things I've been learning at the school of how to make fire in different ways, um, what kinds of fibers come from what plants is beneficial for nature too, because it's, it's showing, I mean, on a practical level, we're learning directly what all of nature has to offer, as opposed to just the limited things that, you know, we put in this box, like nature's good for food and this and this. When you're out there and you see how many different kinds of medicine there are from one plant or what kinds of shelters you can make, like it's just, everything becomes a bounty that you start to find sacred and want to protect so it naturally engenders this love for the planet that you can't really force on someone just by telling it's not the same kind of compassion you get by telling kids about climate change in a classroom like that's like oh yeah all these beautiful things are dying and i might feel sad but it's different when i'm out there and experiencing it and then someone comes to threaten it it's like well hell no i'm gonna protect this with all of my being and just one more part of that is when we process things like our grief or anxiety or difficult decisions I believe that that kind of vulnerability like our presence out there actually feeds the earth in some way it's like we Mm. I am supported by being out there for sure and then my grief becomes compost it's like I put that into the earth and it is revitalized in turn
0: Mm, I love that My body had a real response when you said that. It just felt, you know, deeply true. And I know that when I'm having difficult emotions, just like getting outside and I often like open my heart up to the Mm -hmm. sky and just kind of feel some sort of energetic connection to the universe. And yeah, I feel my feet in contact with the ground and my heart like opened up to the sky. And it just feels like I am one piece of this big, energetic exchange of really all of humanity and all of life almost on this universal level that really feeds into this sense of interconnectedness that I think is so important for getting out of our smaller egoic selves. Okay, so nature retreats in 2017, your first Enneagram experience Mm -hmm. at the barn. What was your next spiritual stepping stone around nature? What do you remember kind of impacting you after that?
1: Well, um, I think that actually came during COVID, so pretty recently, 2020, when I was cooped up, as everybody was, and kept having these like waking dreams of the coast of Maine, and I was off in Western Massachusetts. I was quarantining with my parents because they lived the country, which was a more pleasant place to be than Boston, right, Ben? But I, and even though I was surrounded by this beauty. I felt so pulled to be somewhere else, and uh, I started working with a guide from um, Animus Valley Institute because they are—they're nature and soul guides is basically what what they what they consider themselves. So if I was if I'm having a persistent image or dream, that's the kind of work I want to do. It feels like it's coming from my soul. So I was working with um, a guide on that, and they more or less said, "You have to go, like you have to go to where this is. You know where this is. What are you waiting for?"
0: What was the image of the
1: dream? just this one spot um, that I'd been to the year before on a cobblestone beach looking out on the ocean. Like pretty simple landscape, oh, wow. really. There's a lot of those in Maine, but yeah. I knew exactly where it was and I knew I had to go there. So I did and uh, it drove the six hours to get there and found a place that would let me stay despite the COVID restrictions and just spent a couple of days there being with the land and saying like, What do I I need to do here? And the answer was, the answer I got from the earth uh, for, I don't know how else to describe it, is you have to spend some time here. You have to move here for a while. And I was like, okay, that's a bit Mm. of a big risk. This is six hours away from everyone I know. I'd have to find an apartment. But that calling was really persistent and eventually led to me moving there for the winter for about six or seven months
0: yeah and what did you experience while you were there what was the rhythm of your day
1: that was a deepening I, I started my enneagram career at that point too i launched my first online program so i transitioned from being a nanny to being an enneagram teacher as my primary source of income
0: that's yeah. a fun transition yep. nanny to um, enneagram teacher yeah <laughs> and i love that oh, yeah. you're a nanny that's so fun you're the first man that i know that worked as a nanny do you know many um, other male names? well the one who
1: took over for me, when I left, was also a male nanny because that particular uh, kid worked a lot better with guys. Um, but I know there's not very many of us. So,
0: how many? How old were uh, the kids? Are how it's many eight-year-old you watched? How fun! I love that because you know I have these three boys, and I used to seek out male yeah, babysitters yeah. all Our, the time.
1: My favorite babysitter when I was a kid was also a guy. His name was um, um, Alex, and my siblings and I adored Alex and couldn't didn't really tolerate anybody else.
0: That's so funny. Yeah, we had this guy named Scotty. And he we actually ran into him because I used to take my little boys over to yeah. the park, and there was like a skate rink there. And there were these, like three teenagers that were just like playing, you know, they brought their yeah. hockey sticks and their skates. And like my little boys were just like at the gate, like they didn't want to swing. They didn't want to do anything else. Yeah. They just like wanted to watch these teenager boys like playing hockey. And it was so cute. You know, two of them were a little, but my oldest son, Um, I think he was maybe eight at the time and they invited him out and they gave him a stick and they let him play and they let him get some shots. And like, I, he came home and he actually drew a picture of himself at the park with these boys, you know, with the, the sticks. And I ended up, you know, sending a taking a picture of it and sending it to him and his mom and just was like, thank you. Like you really like made this little boy's day. And it was just such a beautiful connection point. And then I just asked him, I'm like, you know, that was Mm -hmm. really deeply meaningful. And would you be willing to babysit? And we had him at a babysitter for three to five years or something. And it was, it was really sweet. I want to encourage like, yeah, get your son's babysitting. I just think that that's like a beautiful way to nurture the divine feminine Mm -hmm. inside, of our growing boys Uh, as well. Yes,
1: I think I had a bunch of that naturally, which might be why I was drawn to it, but yeah.
0: So cool. I love the idea of just men. Like if we look at the wounding that patriarchy has also inflicted on men, I think that developing these healthy examples of men expressing care and tenderness is just such a wonderful way of healing what we're all coming out of. Well, thanks. I just took a little diversion there because I didn't know that about you. And I think that that's really cool. So then you went up to Maine and you shifted from being a nanny to being an Enneagram teacher. And you were deepening your practice and you were back here where you were called to be. And I'm curious, do you, how long, so you how, you stayed uh, there for it was six months? Like
1: eight or nine. Yeah. August through May.
0: And you gained a lot of clarity, it sounds like, while you were there.
1: I think there was a growth that happened, um, a confidence in being uh-huh alone and an like a automatic habit of when i need support going to the woods or the mountains or the ocean to find it because there weren't other humans around so it was it was harder to just like go meet up with someone plus it was covid so there were all those protocols there yeah but i over that time just developed what feels like a personal relationship with the landscape and i've been developing that in maine Ever since I moved here, it's this draw to the rocky spruce forest coast, feeling like I belong here and almost like wanting, wanting to prove it to the earth that I'm serious about it. Like, I want to know this place. I want to love this place. I want to feel at home here. I want to be in service to it however I can. So going out over and over, doing like devotional practices of just acknowledging how beautiful or powerful or moving or like spiritually infused, I'd find these places and acknowledging that out loud, like doing prayers, dancing, singing, um, basically courting the land and developing that bond. Uh, so now I do feel like even though I'm relatively new uh, immigrant to this state and as a white person, my people are not from here, I do have a sense that I belong point.
0: I love that. I love how you just used your intuition to listen to your soul and to just follow the whispers it was giving you. And I really have a strong sense of this rootedness and this commitment and the devotion, like you said, to this piece of land. And it sounds really exciting that you're now having this first wild Enneagram offering. So this is going to be how long? How many weeks is this class going to be? Twelve weeks, and it's, it's online, online Thursdays
1: at uh, one pm Eastern, so noon central, about an hour yeah. and a half each week. And my vision for it is to share with others what we've just been talking about, like that reciprocity I spoke of earlier, that our our inner work can actually be a reciprocal exchange with nature when we bring that kind of vulnerability outside, our willingness to do our inner work, to take our grief, our rage, Whatever outside and process it is actually a gift to the earth. So that we humans have been doing that forever, right? It's just us funny modern ones who have forgotten that we all but like mystics and seekers for thousands of years have gone into the desert or into the mountains or into the forest to like learn the truths about themselves and the universe. So, um, trying to rekindle that and also show to everyone that it is perfectly possible to cultivate a sense of belonging with the land where you live and if you can't find that where you live then that might be a wake-up call that you're not where you need to be like i wasn't where i needed to be in western mass mm-hmm. i love visiting there now but that's not my home yeah. and when i'm away from my home i I miss it like i could be in the most beautiful place on earth like grand canyon or whatever it is fjords in norway and i would be eventually pulled back here so i want to be i want to share that like soul-centric, eco-centric experience with students and also show them that like grim awareness and anygram work is a doorway into that.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think it's exciting that you're giving an offering that people can access wherever they're finding themselves exactly. in the world. And I think it's really going to wake people up to how am I connected with the world outside of this computer screen? So on one hand, it's interesting that the course will be you know, on a mm-hmm. on a digital device, and yet I'm sure that you're going to be giving practices and exercises that send people out into their local ecosystem. And what do you think about people who live in urban settings? How do you think their experience mm-hmm. with this will be?
1: Um, I think well, I personally would find it challenging, but I don't think that would be the case for everybody. My guide, um, Animus Guide, told me about a person who was getting ready for their vision fast, which is you're out in the desert for two weeks, and you're with a group, and then you go do a a solo fast, and they have all these preparation exercises. And this person lived in New York City, and one of the preparation assignments is to do a day-long wander in nature, where you don't speak to other humans, and you just follow what allures you or calls you, Uh, and he did the entire thing in the subway system, following Insects around, or like the way that shadow played in the in those underground areas, and just notice what was coming up with him. Sat for long periods in silence, watching all of the crowds and the trains go by. But it, it had this same like observational baseline that you would have if you were in in the woods. So taking that same thing to the landscape of the subway, but engaging with it in a totally different way than your everyday consciousness, which is you know head down forward. I'm going to get to the next station my office.
0: Yeah. I'm having so many thoughts as I'm listening to you talk. And as you know, I have a fascination with the instinctual drives and I'm really celebrating at how you're using your self-preservation dominance to really like Mm -hmm. root and to really develop your natural inclination that you have towards the earth and developing fertile ground and these connections and so i'm imagining that you may um, attract people who also really celebrate the self-preservation instinct but i think that this would be such a wonderful offering for people who are self-pressed blind you know one of the things we talk about is how to work with the blind spot and i think that this offering if you identify as self-preservation blind i can just see the power of really developing your presence and your awareness around your rootedness and around your direct environment and around your direct experience with the earth. And I'd be so curious to talk to some of the people who identify as self-preservation blind about what they experience at the end of this 12-week journey with you.
1: Yeah, that would be really interesting. Yeah. And I think there's opportunities for working with all of the instincts definitely going to come up. I mean, the format of the course is, um, there's a couple of intro calls, which are around what nature work is, soul work is, awareness. Then we do nine type calls, and then a conclusion um, at the end, the final week. Uh, So there is an explicit instinct talk, although maybe that would be in a follow-up program. But this work can definitely engage all three of them. Self-preds, like you said. Uh, Sexual, though, is this like, drive for evolution, um, new experiences, uh, and like powerful charged connection with something like that pull to be with the beloved. Like I think my sexual instinct was blind or is blind, but that's what pulled me to move to Maine. Like that was a fucking risk, right? Like that wasn't my self saying I'm just going to stay where my people are and where I know things are going to work out. Like no, I'm going to go to Northern Maine in the winter and I don't know anybody and get a cabin spontaneously and hope it works out. That was, yes. That's sexual That was my my blind spot coming up and helping me out.
0: Well, and that's what was coming up for me when I was hearing you talk about the exercise around just seeing what pulls you. This is all about attraction and repulsion. And as a sexual blind person, that's been so much of my blind spot work is just looking at, you know, what does just captivate Mm -hmm. me and draw me in and what creates this sense of no, not that and trying to understand it, but also recognizing that it's not really something that we wrap Mm -hmm. our heads around. It's information from the body that we just start listening to because of the inherent wisdom that lives within the sexual instinct. And then when I think about the social instinct, you know, typically we think about the social instinct being about our relationship with other humans, but the social instinct in its highest form is our interconnectedness with all life and even things that we don't ultimately even think of as alive, like a rock or, you know, these things are all made out of matter. And there is an energetic relationship, even if we haven't dialed up our sensitivity to actually experience it in this moment. And I'm imagining that the practices that you're giving will really enable us to take our social instinctual energy and up level and just get really curious about when I am really open, can I feel that social connection with everything around me and not be so singularly focused on human agendas?
1: Yeah, we're getting out of the anthropocentric, is that even a word? Um, view into ecocentric like yes I'm a human and I have a particular affinity with other humans but there's also the same potential with all of life which is such an important thing for us to remember if if we're going to get through the climate crisis we need to collectively remember that if we're still going to think of ourselves as other than nature even those of us trying to like solve the climate crisis if we're trying to solve that from the outside top down I'm the one with all the solutions. I'm going to tell nature how to fix itself. We're not going to get anywhere. It has to be Mm. informed by nature. There has to be that give and take. I have to recognize this was probably where some of the one comes in. Like, I don't know. I don't know what's right or what's good, actually. I might have ideas or even convictions, but I might be wrong. The type one practice. Yeah.
0: We see this all the time. Sometimes we think we're doing something good for the environment, and then there are these downstream effects that we realize like, all of, oops. Pretty yeah. much
1: all the problems we're facing ecologically are the results of solutions we tried to implement. Mm, um, that's so interesting.
0: Name a couple of them. Like what are some of the big ones that pop into mind that you're like,
1: wow. Um, well, what I, what I mean is that like all of all of the kind of rotten stuff that's going on is a result of humans trying to make things better, but doing so from a human centric perspective. So even things like, you know, building, building highways, uh, is an amazing thing, but now that's caused all of this pollution runoff into the woods. And they're, they found like residue of tires on the ice in Greenland from all of that. And it's like, no matter where you look, our, our impact, our good intentions have not turned out very well. Most of the time, even though I, do believe it's coming from human goodness and desire to help. If we were to, um, before making a decision like that, like, I want to build a new highway in this area, if we actually go and ask the land there what it thinks, and if we could have learned to do that before we were in our current situation, I don't think we'd be in this mess at all. Peoples who live closer to the Earth know that, I think. Um, I'm not one of them, so I can't speak as that. But we need to let our decisions be informed by nature, to give it that agency and respect.
0: Yeah. Are you familiar with Deborah Uten's work on spiral not dynamics? Very much, no. She's integrating the spiral in the Enneagram. I just finished her class. And one of the, the first level of consciousness to appear after basic instinctual drives is the purple level. And this is a very spiritual level of consciousness. And this evolved in tribal humans who, you know, the Low side of it was that like they sacrificed virgins and things like to get rain and you know But the high side of it was you know a lot of the Shamanistic and the connection that these people had to the land and the stars and there was You know as humans always will Nothing was perfect about that era for sure but um, there was just so much more of this energetic connection and I think that when I'm hearing you talk As we elevate through the spiral and I'll direct anybody to Deborah's teachings if you want to learn more about that but as we are moving up to these higher levels of consciousness it's not that we leave those lower levels of consciousness we integrate them and so there were lessons from that level of consciousness that now we bring with us as Mm -hmm. we move through Mm -hmm. shock points and different levels of development and we remember like what did I learn from that phase that I want to integrate and bring with me because there is such right. wisdom there, even though there are also parts of it that I mourn and that, you know, I don't want to bring with me into this next right. level of consciousness. Right. Yep, mm-hmm. I love that. Well, I'm wondering if maybe you would give us a little like teaser, like for certain Enneagram points, how do you tie that into nature? And it sounds like you're going to have a week with each point. You want to give us a little, Teaser about how you work with the enneagram sure, in nature. Sure. Yeah. Do you want to take us around the wheel? Is there a little like couple liner you could give us about each? Or I'm do not going to do that today.
1: Maybe I'll, maybe I'll just I'll just touch on a few. Okay. Better. Some of them feel especially resonant with this conversation. If we look at the one, so with every type, there's going to be a couple of invitations, and one of them is if you feel um, like you're not particularly strong in that type, and I see the enneagram. ourselves as constellations like we've got different strengths in different places and then we have a home base so if i'm lacking a particular or if i feel disconnected from uh the strengths of a particular type for every type we do in this 12-week series i'm going to be offering chances to cultivate the qualities of that type by going out and seeing where that exists in nature so if we look at eight like the strength and aliveness are the essential qualities of eight where can we find those in nature? And I can't prescribe that. The idea is to be surprised. So I go out there and I more or less ask, maybe drawn to where strength and aliveness exist. And I would go on what I call a wander Mm. or um, just a walk even, let myself be drawn to where I see those things. And when I did this for myself, I, I was at the coast and what struck me as most obvious first was like the crashing surf. And That's definitely a sense of strength and aliveness and power there. So I would want to let myself be vulnerable and almost like apprentice myself to this being. What is it like to be this? Like if I was going to come up with, if I was going to mirror the ocean, what kind of posture would I take with my body? What action? Did any um, dances or songs or words come to me? Do I want to journal anything? Just learning from this being what its idea of essential strength is. So you could do that with the ocean. And then I also noticed it in a little weed that was poking up in the middle of the woods. Like so something massive
0: and then mm. something
1: tiny that nonetheless had that same strength. Like, yeah, I am gonna grow right here and none of you are gonna stop me. And I was just kind of moved by this this little green leaf poking out. So it had different teachings about the same essence to offer me.
0: I'm sitting here looking out my window and I'm seeing this yeah. beautiful tree and I'm seeing like the strength of its trunk and its branches and we have a lot of wind here today. And I'm noticing how it just kind of like bends but it's not breaking. There's a lot of strength and solidness and power just in this bare naked February tree right. in Chicago.
1: Right. So if I was gonna learn from a tree I would go out and and be with it. And the more I put into it, the more I get out of it. Like if I'm willing to be vulnerable and look funny to other humans, that's great. I'm actually going to learn something there. I just want to throw a little shout out to Andrea Isaac. So I haven't talked to you since my training, but her teaching of the mantras and mudras and changing the neural pathways in your brain through saying a mantra and taking a particular pose I think the, I I would bet the neuroscience behind this practice is very similar to that. So I'm hoping she and I can talk at some point. Yeah. But you you go out there and you can embody this and it actually changes your idea of it. It's like, oh, these qualities are available to me. Like I have a blind spot in eight, speaking for myself. Strength and aliveness feel very far away most of the time. But if I go out there and let nature show me how to do it, it's actually a lot closer than I thought. And even realizing that can be really powerful. Mm. We do things like that for every type. The other half of it is if I have a lot of type of this particular type energy and I'm struggling with that, the practices I offer will be related to what those types need to work on or what their paths of transformation are. So just sticking with the eight, I suppose, path of transformation for the eight is self-surrender. What is it like to surrender in nature? Well, some keywords there would be getting vulnerable, letting go of control, feeling soft even. So something as simple as lying on my back in the middle of a field and just letting my need to control the outcome of this go, that can be very powerful for an eight. Just another example, if look at the one, their path is acceptance. So I have a lot of one, especially when it comes to climate stuff. An example I talk about a lot is uh, the eastern hemlock tree. It's one of my favorite trees. There's a pest called the woolly adelgid, which kills them and is spreading farther and farther inland. The warmer winters get, the easier time it has. So it's easy for me to blame humans and say, you know, screw you humans, or even like screw you God for putting this bug here. Like you're killing my beloved trees. How can you be good if you're putting this bullshit here so i have beef with humans i have beef with god like this is at the core of the one suffering right like there is something wrong with the way yeah things are being done here and i want to fix it of course i can't fix it i can't make that bug go away i can't stop it from killing my trees so the practice there is acceptance and um this is almost a meditation of finding something that you think is wrong or bad like letting that one come up and then staying with it until you can perceive what's sacred about it. So when I did that with in my own practice, I was going out and finding one of these trees, which was infested. will probably die in two or three years. Staying there and looking at the these little creatures and just asking them, like, what is sacred about you? What is good about you? And doing it over and over and over, just opening myself up, waiting for an answer, until I felt something shift. And something did shift. And I don't even know how to explain it. It's just, I actually did see that there is something sacred to this. I don't actually know what it is, but I'm okay with it now. So when I walk through my infected forests, the compassion comes easier. But the judgment and grief is not nearly as loud. It's just, I can see these beings and I can love them and Mm -hmm. I can love them through their passing. Like they're they're going to go. And then sunlight's going to hit the ground and something else is going to grow love whatever's next
0: hmm. that's so beautiful thank you can i share what was coming up for me while i was uh imagining my path in sure. nature here and as i was thinking of point three the image that came to me yeah. was a sunflower like this you know just this big sunflower like in a field is sort of how i see yeah. point3 energy and then i was thinking about that path of like growth and transformation and i was thinking of is it the birch that has that root ecosystem that just con- con- connects underground and you have all of these independent mm. trees, but they're- I know I, I know I may have the wrong too. tree. Aspens, that's what it was, thank you. And so I was thinking of the aspens and their root ecosystem and how you have these individual aspen trees, but yet there's this strong interconnectedness and that felt like going from that solo sunflower to the connected aspens in a three to point six Beautiful. way in nature. Yeah,
1: yeah. So that exact thing is why this work is so much fun is that it lets you make it your own. You can make your own connections and then it's personal. Like you're not ever going to forget that. That's not in a textbook. Yeah. I could fill probably 10 textbooks right. with the different experiences that people have or infinite, right? Because it's so personal.
0: Yeah, and what came up for me is like, I love my sunflower self. I mean, you know, that's fun to... Yeah live into and i'm having even more fun feeling like an aspen and connecting with you and Mm. all the other writers and teachers and people in the enneagram and growth communities and just recognizing that we are all coming out with our own Mm. unique flavor and i'm using my gift around loving to talk to people and loving to make connections and just really also like promote like Of course, I don't mind having my offerings be promoted. And I love, you know, promoting all the people around me that I see doing such amazing work. And to just see how we all have a place in this ecosystem feels really inspiring to me.
1: Definitely.
0: Well, that feels like a wonderful place to kind of wrap up for today. Is there anything else that you want us to know about your offering or any other last words that you'd like to leave our listeners with as we consider making space for this? wonderful hmm. practice.
1: Anything about the offering? I mean, just the logistics of if you want to do it, schedule a discovery call with me. That's the application process. Just talk to me for half an hour, which is on my website. Of course, it's only going to, yeah.
0: And are live things going to come next? I know that you've been oh. talking about taking people physically into nature. What's on the horizon I'm taking there? a
1: group of longtime students into nature in the spring. And in the future, I would like to start offering that more to newer folks. And most of those are probably going to be in Maine. So if you'd like to do a nature retreat in the fall, in Maine, uh, I might be offering that.
0: Mm. So we'll stay tuned. I assume you have a way that we can go to your website and be on a mailing list and hear about offerings yep. that are it's going to be It's just
1: wildenneagram.com. Up? So pretty easy. Uh, you can sign up for a newsletter at the bottom. And we'll yep. put that in
0: the show notes. Or just notes, email
1: me, but... ben yeah. at wildenneagram.com.
0: That's... Well, thank you, Ben. I'm really excited that you're stepping into this offering. And I can't wait to Connect with you in six to 12 months and hear what's what's new and Sounds how it's great. all going. Thank you for having me again, Kara. If you enjoyed this, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts and various Android platforms. If you leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, it helps a lot. If you have any questions you'd like addressed in a future episode, please email me at contact at I also offer a wide variety of services at my practice, Well Essence MD, including typing services, Enneagram coaching, nonviolent communication training, and mindfulness trainings for working with stress, anxiety, and food cravings. Feel free to call my office at 847-850-8185 to schedule a free con- consultation.